Good morning, Lifehouse. It is so good to be with you this morning. Um, if you'll open up your Bibles to John chapter 9, uh, that's where we're going to be. I'm going to be using the message paraphrase, uh, but you can use any uh, translation you'd like. Uh, we're going to, this is a really long chapter, so I do think it'd be very helpful if you had your Bible out this morning. Uh, we're going to be talking about having eyes to see. I haven't always been a big fiction reader. I've typically read nonfiction. I'm an avid reader. Uh, but a few years ago, I started reading um, fiction. And one of my favorite series is by an, an author named C.J. Box. He has this Joe Pickett series, which is about a game warden in Wyoming. And I just love it. And uh, one of the things I love about the series is that every once in a while, there'll just be this huge plot twist and it comes out of nowhere and you just don't see it coming and it changes everything. And as a reader, uh, you're surprised by it, but we know the author um, has a purpose for it and he's using it to tell his story. And as I was thinking about that, I thought about Psalm 139, which says this, 139.16, it says, your eyes saw my unformed body. Okay, so we know that the Lord knows us before we're ever born. When, our, when we are in our mother's womb, the Lord knows us. Um, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. I tend to think of life like the days of our lives, like, like um, pages in a book, and years are like chapters. And if this year, 2020, was a chapter in the book of our lives, um, there's been major plot twists, hasn't there? Like everything has changed. None of us saw this coming, but the author did. Uh, the Lord knows what's going on. The Lord is in control. Uh, even if it doesn't look like the Lord's winning, the Lord is winning. And he wants to use what's going on in our lives to do amazing things. And so, but what it takes is us having eyes to see what the Lord's doing and, and ears to hear. Uh, there's been a phrase that's just been rolling around in my heart and in my mind the last few weeks. And it's this phrase out of the book of Revelation, which uh, simply says, let the church have ears to hear what the spirit is saying. And so I've been praying, Lord, let me have ears to hear what you're saying. And then in Matthew 13, there's a story about Jesus and his disciples. And they ask him, why, Jesus, why are you always telling stories? And, and he said, the reason I tell stories is I want to create a receptivity or a readiness in my listeners so that they will have ears to hear and they'll have eyes to see, that they won't uh, close their ears, they won't close their eyes, uh, they won't be knuckleheads as it was prophesied in Isaiah, that's the J. Bean version, but that we would have open hearts, open ears, open eyes to see what it is that Jesus is doing. And so that's my prayer this morning, is that we would see what Jesus is doing in our individual lives and what he wants to do around us. And John 9 is a great passage for this because it's a story of Jesus healing a man who's physically blind. Jesus heals this man physically, and then at the end of the story, we see how he also opens his spiritual eyes. And so what this story tells us is that when Jesus opens our eyes, he gives us vision to see what we wouldn't see otherwise. So here we go. John chapter 9, verse 1. So walking down the street, uh, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. Uh, his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? You see, they're, 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 they're walking by, and they see this man who's blind. They're like, Jesus, who's, whose fault is there? Why is he blind? And Jesus, I love his response. He just, Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're, asking, you're, you're, you're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God to do. Let that sink in a minute. They were looking for who to blame, and Jesus said, that's a wrong question. Let's stop looking for who's to blame, but instead let's ask the question, 
What does God want to do in this situation? That's my first point this morning. Let's look instead for what God wants to do. So the disciples, they're looking for somebody to blame. They walk by this guy, and instead of seeing somebody, a real person with real needs, who's never seen the son, who's never seen his parents, uh, has no um, vocation, who's not able to work, who's reliant on the goodwill of others, mercy of others, they don't see him as an object of mercy or of grace. Uh, They're not extending care to him. They simply begin to have this a cognitive abstract discussion, this theological discussion about why is he in the situation he's in. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, time out. Time out. You guys have it all wrong. You're looking for who to blame. But instead, we need to be looking to see what I want to do in the midst of this situation. Because that's how God works. And, and, and I, think that, I think this fits us right now because in, in our world, in our society, what we see going on, there's a lot of blame being passed around. There's a lot of people blaming other people. And I wonder what would happen if for a moment, if we stopped casting blame and we just said, Jesus, in this moment, give me eyes to see what is it that you want to do? Because if we can have eyes like Jesus to see like he sees, then we'd be able to partner with him and be a part of what he wants to do in the world around us. See, seeing as Jesus sees causes us, we have to have a change in perspective to be able to see as Jesus sees. A change of perspective. I remember remember one time I was was in my office, I was praying, and I was thinking about perspective. I was thinking about vision. And I remember I was was sitting in in my office and I was just praying, Lord, help me understand perspective perspective. Help me understand your vision. Help me understand what it means to see things as you see them and to have a different perspective and a different view. And I was praying and I was thinking and as, and as, I, as I prayed, I looked up and as I looked up on my bookshelf, about, probably about the third shelf up, it was lower, um, I saw a commentary that I'd been looking for for three weeks. And as I looked at this commentary, I, I mean, I immediately knew what the Lord was trying to tell me because I'd been walking around my office for weeks looking for it, but because I was higher up, I was looking down. I didn't have the right perspective. I didn't have the right vantage point to be able to see what it was I was looking for. But when I stopped, when I was praying, when I was still before him, and I, and I actually asked him to show me, and I totally believe he used this, that when I opened my eyes, because I had a different perspective, I could see things from a different vantage point. I don't think it's coincidence that I, was, that I was seated, that I was in prayer, that I was looking up to the Lord. And when I looked up, that's when I had a change of perspective. And I think that's true for us, friends, that if we'll ask the Lord to give us a change of perspective, that we will. So instead of when we see needs around us and we see brokenness and we see hurt in ourselves or in others, we won't be asking the question, okay, who's to blame? We'll be asking, Lord, what do you want to do in this? Because it's a whole lot easier to have abstract conversations, to have abstract arguments than it is to actually meet the concrete needs of the person that, that, that's right in front of us. Because we all go through suffering. We all have difficult situations. And what we focus on in times of suffering will determine our outcome. I want to tell you, um, I want to tell you a story about a, a good friend of mine, a hero in the faith uh, of my great hero of mine. His name was uh, Terry Winkler. Uh, Terry and Janice Weekler started attending the church that I pastored in Missouri just weeks after I started pastoring it. And uh, here's a picture of, of Janice and Terry uh, up on the screen. You'll see uh, 
You look at his bike, if you notice, uh, his hands are actually on um, pedals or on hand pedals, and he's able to, to, to um, navigate his bike and propel his bike that way. And this is why. When Terry was 15, he dropped out of high school. He's from Louisiana. He dropped out of high school. He went to working um, offshore oil rigs. And when he was 18, he was in from, from offshore, and he, um, he threw a handgun in his glove box. When he threw the handgun in his glove box, it actually discharged and it severed his spinal cord. And at that moment, he became paralyzed from the waist down. He became a paraplegic. And he went into an ex- extended time of depression, a bad depression. And over the next several years, uh, he tried to kill himself multiple times. And I remember him telling me uh, this story about how he tried to kill himself two times, and he was unsuccessful both times. And, and he felt so bad about him. He, sell, he felt so ashamed. He felt so stupid that he said, I couldn't even do the simple thing of taking my own life. I couldn't even succeed at that. And after six years of just very chronic, um, deep, dark depression, one after another sleepless night, he told me the story how he cried out to God and he cried out in desperation. He said, God, I know you're real, but you've never been real to me. And I ask you to either take my life, either kill me tonight or give me a life worth living. And that night he met Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. A few days later, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and his life took a radical um, trajectory that was so different. Instead of life being all focused on him and about how bad it was and how he was to blame and how, how difficult it was and the suffering he had, his perspective shifted. And God gave him a, a picture, a vision of a life of hope and a future. And he began to dedicate his life to serving others, to serving those that have been a crippled, to those that were disabled, that those that were sick. And so he, uh, he, went to, he went from being a high school dropout, he went to college, and he got a pre-med degree at Harvard. Then he went to LSU Medical School. And after he graduated from LSU Medical School, he began to practice medicine, state of Arkansas, the first disabled doctor in the state of Arkansas. He became triple board certified in spinal care injury and rehabilitation medicine and wound care. Uh, he, was, he became very... Um, Published, became uh, the most published American author on spinal cord injury. Uh, he, was, he was awarded the America's Award for Determination by the first President Bush. He met three sitting presidents. He had a very successful medical practice. Um, and he, this is something he else did, he, he did as well. He set a, uh, a flying record uh, to Alaska. He flew a uh, uh, he flew a plane to Alaska. He was the first uh, paraplegic to fly solo from the lower 48 to Alaska, and he set a flight record while he did it. He's just an amazing man. He uh, rebuilt uh, Mopar pickups. He had the uh, largest collection of rare, high-performance Dodge pickups um, in America, and this, is, this was his pride and joy. This was a, uh, a, you have a picture of it. This is a Maverick. Um, uh, this was one of the most winning drag uh, car races in, in history. He found it, uh, I think in Louisiana or somewhere in the South, just in a field. He found it in a field and he restored it. And, uh, and these are all great um, accomplishments, but, but they weren't his greatest accomplishments. What Terry was known for and why I respect him so much is the love and compassion that he had for those around him. He didn't view the limitations of his wheelchair as something that would keep him from being effective in the kingdom of God. He said that he could either let his wheelchair overcome him or he could overcome his wheelchair. 
and he he's helped start, and he was on the board of a, of a, uh, a, a kid's um, camp for severely disabled kids, and thousands of kids would come every summer. Uh, he started a jail ministry where dozens and dozens of people were saved every month for years. Uh, he was on the board for Johnny and Friends, Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, just an amazing man. But the, the last three years of his life, he was confined to a wheelchair. I'm sorry, not a wheelchair. He was confined to a hospital bed. For three years in a hospital bed, I remember, I remember the last three Christmases of his life Every Christmas, I would be down at the hospital with him, just spending time with him. And he was remarkable because just the joy he had, just the grace that he ex exuded. Um, it didn't matter if it was a, a tech, a custodian, a nurse, um, a doctor. It, it didn't matter. Everybody that came into contact with him, he would share the love of Jesus with. He was a favorite patient in the hospital because he just shared Jesus with everybody. He didn't let the limitations that he was experiencing in that moment keep him from having eyes that Jesus had to be able to see people as Jesus saw them and to be able to not look at who is to blame, but look, what can we do in the middle of this? He embraced those limitations and yet God used him mightily in those limitations. I've been thinking a lot about limitations lately. I've been thinking about the limitations that, that God places on us. You know, God places limitations on us. Uh, he's given us seven days, and he says, there's six days a week that, that you're to work, but there's one day a week that he's put a limit on. And he said, that day belongs to him, and that day is holy. And it doesn't matter pandemic or not, there's still a day that we come, and we, we honor the Lord, and we give it. It's him, and we stop, and we rest, and we worship, and we pursue him, and we connect with, with those around us that we can, and, and we recharge ourselves for this next week. And, and that, that limitation is still in place. He's placed limits on our money. Uh, he said 90%, I mean, we know it's all his, but he said that the first 10% actually we give to him. We, we bring to the local storehouse, the local church, so there'd be food in his house. And he says the first 10% is his. And so we give that 10%, we give the tithe to the Lord. And then we have a limitation to live off that other 90%. And, and I'm telling you, in my life, honoring the Sabbath, honoring tithe, God always blesses it. And there's more than enough. And he, he, he meets our needs and, and he's there for us. And, but there's other kind of limitations that we don't like. We don't, like, I don't, I don't like caloric limitations. I don't like budgetary limitations. I don't like um, speed limit limitations. There are all kinds of limitations I don't like, but yet when we surrender to these limitations, that there's a power, there's a grace that flows in our life that we're able to be effective in what God has called us to do. You know, right now, there's a lot of limitations being imposed on us. And, and, and when we find ourselves in limitations, how do we respond to them? Do we get upset? Do we start looking for who's to blame? And, and, or will we say, Lord, in the middle of this, what are you seeing, Lord? What are you saying? Jesus, how can I have eyes like you to see what you see? Lord, will you give me your perspective to see what you would see? And so Jesus, he, he has this man who's in front of him who's blind, and he, he takes and he, he spits in his hands. And he, verse six, he, he, he spits in his hands and the dust, and he, and he puts it together, and he makes his clay with his saliva, and he rubs the paste in the blind man's eyes, and he says, go and wash at the pool of Siloam, and the man went and washed, and he saw, and he saw. 
right before this, Jesus had told him, he goes, I am the light of the world. Can you imagine that? He tells this man that he is the light of the world. This man has never seen light. He's never seen his parents. He didn't know what light was, but yet God told him, I am the light of the world. I think that's significant because what Jesus was communicating to him, the, the hope he was giving him, the vision he was giving him was something that was beyond his frame of reference. It was beyond something he had ever experienced before. And I believe the Lord wants to do that in our lives today. I believe he wants to give us something beyond what we've currently experienced in him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We haven't seen yet. We haven't heard yet. We haven't imagined yet all that God has for us. And so my prayer this morning is, Lord, let me see it. Lord, let me hear it. Lord, let me move into all that you have for me. And I want to be obedient like this man was. When Jesus made this mud pie and put it in his eyes, and he said, go and wash. And he went and he washed and he saw that it was at that moment that he was healed. And that brings us to our second point this morning, that being obedient, to the instructions of Jesus is foundational for us having, having eyes to see. That being obedient to the instructions of Jesus is foundational to us having eyes to see. <sighs> I love it how Jesus helps him obey these commands, right? Like he puts mud, he puts this irritant in his eye, and when he does that, he goes and washes it. Uh, Jesus helps him. We know that Scripture tells us that not only uh, do we have the desire to do the will of God, but God gives us the ability to accomplish his will in our life. But let's don't miss the, this, this crucial point here, that it was in the act of obedience is when this man received his sight. It was when he responded to the simple command. Jesus simply said, go, wash, and you receive your sight. And he did. He went and he washed. So simple. Went and washed and received his sight. It's a simple request. And it makes me ask myself and ask you the question, will you and I do the simple things that Jesus is asking us to do? Just the simple things. It may not be easy, but most of the time they're simple. There's simple commands, simple instructions he gives us. Will you love your wife? Will you love your husband? Will you lay your life down for your kids? Will you minister to your neighbor who's, in, who's isolated right now? Will you reach out to that person at work? Will you, will you have eyes to see what Jesus wants to do? I think we all know that still small voice that, that we think, is this my thought or is this your thought, Lord? And let's just go ahead and work with the assumption that it's him. Uh, when we're, when we, we have this thought of something that we should do for others, of, of helping, of reaching out, and, and when, we, when we listen to that, when we obey that still small voice and we respond to that, we know that feeling of just satisfaction of seeing God's grace and love flow through us. But I know, and I'm sure you know this feeling as well, when we don't listen to that voice and we, for out of fear, or out of being afraid of appearing foolish or rejection or whatever, um, or busyness, we just don't respond to it. And then later we realize how much we missed out on what God wanted to do. See, we receive vision the same way. We receive spiritual eyesight the same way by being obedient to what Jesus is telling us to do, that he gives us a vision for what he wants to do. Guys, we have an incredible opportunity in the world where we're in, the situation we're in, to respond in obedience and meet needs around us. Jesus said, walk by faith and not by sight. 
Isn't that what this blind man did? He walked by faith, he obeyed the Lord, and he received his sight. And so you and I, too, when we will respond to the Lord in, in, in faith, in faith, then we'll understand. Then he'll give us revelation. Then he'll give us insight. We can't wait to know everything before we respond. We simply respond in obedience. Uh, we have any Ranger fans out there, Texas Ranger fans? Um, I'm actually a Cardinals fan. In uh, 2011, you guys probably remember the, um, the uh, Cardinal Rangers World Series. I was, uh, Heather and I were on our way to game two. We had tickets given to us. I just, uh, you guys are, you Ranger fans are remembering how that series turned out, and I think I'm probably losing you guys right now. But come on, come back in the room. Uh, join me. I am a Cardinals fan, but uh, don't hold that against me. Uh, but we were on our way to game two of the World Series, and as we're headed there, we're headed in downtown St. Louis, and, and you know, I don't know downtown St. Louis real well, but I'm somewhat familiar with it, but we're using a navigation system, and uh, as, we're, as we're headed, headed down to the game, Heather and I were, were going, and, and I kept switching back and forth between following the navigational instructions and, um, and trying to n just figure it out on my own, because I kind of knew which way to go, and so I'd follow it, and then I'd kind of get lost, and I'd go, you know, back and forth, and causing all kind of conflict in the car. And I remember Heather turning to me and she said these words. She's like, Jay, you got to decide, are you going to follow the instructions or not? And at that moment, like I knew she was talking about GPS, but I felt like the Lord just spoke those words to me as a point of instruction. And, and not just for me, but for me to hold on to, to share with others that there comes times in life where we have to really decide, are we going to follow his instructions or not? You can't, like GPS, you can't halfway do it. You can't halfway be in and halfway out. You got to fully commit. And, and when we fully commit, when we fully follow his instructions, we, we're, we, we're obedient as much as we're able, as we have a surrendered heart and follow him, I totally believe that the Lord begins to open our eyes we're able to see what he wants us to see, and we're able to do that which he wants us to do. As we go back to the text, uh, we begin to see how um, there's, this, <clears throat> there's, this, there's this commotion that happens in the city, and there's all this discussion about whether, this, is this the man who is blind? Has he been healed? No, it's somebody else. Well, it looks like him. There's all this argument back and forth, and I'm really going to kind of shrink this all down, but what they end up doing is they end up bringing him before the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were a religious and political group. And when I use the word religious here, I don't mean it in a positive sense. I mean it probably in the most negative sense possible insofar as taking uh, things of God, spiritual things, and putting them in human form and making human systems out of them. And so this is this actually, in this instance, would have more of a negative connotation. So uh, they were religious, political. They controlled uh, the country because this was a theocracy, except for Rome's um, uh, over-control, overlording over them. Uh, they saw Jesus as a threat because he was upending their kingdom and fully establishing God's kingdom. And they were the ones who ultimately had him executed. And so they are, they're trying to get rid of Jesus. And they're hearing that this uh, healing has been attributed to Jesus. So they're trying to figure out what's going on because they got to stop this. They got to they shut it down. So they, so they bring this man uh, before, before them. And as they bring this man before them, uh, they begin to ask him, I say, have you been blind from birth? Yes, I was blind from birth. What happened? This man healed me. Uh, who is this? Who is this that healed me? I don't really know. I don't really. I think he's a prophet. 
And then, and then they just jumped all over him. They say, he can't be a prophet because he healed on the Sabbath. And God doesn't do stuff like that. You see, they had God in this religious box that if God didn't do exactly how they thought he would do, then it couldn't have been God. And I think you and I, we have to be careful that we don't put Jesus in a religious box, that we don't, he's not always going to do things how we expect him to do it and the ways we expect him to do it and to whom we expect him to do it. We know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character is always the same, but what he does is fresh and is new. And, and so we don't want to try to put, put God in this religious box like they were doing. And they were trying to do that. And they, so they were just grilling him. They were just drilling him. And they, they couldn't get the answers they wanted, so they called his parents to the witness stand. And when they called his parents to the witness stand, they said, is this your son? Yes, it's our son. Has he been blind from birth? Yes, he's been blind from birth. Is he, can he see now? And they say, yes, he can see. And they said, who did this? How did this happen? And at this moment, they balked. At this moment, they let fear and pain blur their vision. And friends, you and I can do that. That's our third point this morning. We can let fear and pain blur our vision. And what they did is they said, they said, we don't know, you gotta ask him. He's a grown man, you can ask him yourself. And the reason they said this was because they were afraid. Uh, if, if they said that, that Jesus healed him, they would be acknowledging the deity of Christ and they would be excommunicated from the church, from the synagogue, they would lose their business. They would lose all social contact, all commercial contacts, all family contacts. They would have lost everything. And they weren't willing to do that because of fear and because of pain. And so they, they, they walked away. And so they bring this, the man who was formerly blind back on the witness stand. And they ask him, they say, they say, so you say this is Jesus. Tell us about this Jesus. Tell him who is he. And they just kept drilling him and drilling him and drilling him. And finally he goes, I don't know. They, they say, he goes, I don't know. I don't know who he is, but I know this one thing, that I once was blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. That's what I know. And friends, that's a huge principle for us. We can learn a lot from this man because you and I will be asked all kinds of questions about Jesus. We'll be asked all kinds of questions about what's going on in our world. We'll be, we'll be asked questions about Christianity, about all kinds of stuff that we don't fully know the answers to. And it's okay to say, you know, I don't know how to answer your questions fully, but I can tell you this. This is what I was like, and this is what I'm like now. This is what Jesus has done for me. He has healed me. He has restored me. He's restored relationships. He's provided for me. He's set me free. We can tell the story of what Jesus has done for us. And friends, that's so powerful because there's no way to overcome that. I mean, that is your true experience in Jesus. And we can share that with others, but they didn't like his answer. And they kept just hounding him and hounding him and hounding him. He goes, I've told you this three times. What is it? Are you guys wanting to become disciples of his? And man, at that, they flipped out. Like they just came unglued and they started attacking him and yelling at him. And they said these words, according to the message paraphrase, they, they devalued, they said, they said, you are nothing but dirt. You are nothing but dirt. Get out of here. Imagine that. You're nothing but dirt. How many know we, we, dirt isn't very valuable, is it, right? I mean, unless you're buying it by the truckloads, then it's pretty valuable. But dirt is everywhere. It's common. It's, 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 not that, um, it's not that expensive. I mean, it's just, it doesn't have value. It's just, it's just dirt. It's everywhere, right? Can I, 
Can I suggest that this man who was once was blind and now is healed, his valuation of dirt that day changed because Jesus had used dirt to bring healing to him. When he washed that out, he was healed. And I bet in his mind, when they were calling him dirt, you're nothing but dirt. I bet he was thinking, you know what? That's just fine with me because Jesus rubbed dirt in my eyes and now I can see. And I think of, of that by application that, you know, a lot of times, you know, we just don't, we don't feel like we're much. We don't feel like we have much value. We don't feel like we're very special. We feel as common as dirt. But I'm telling you, something as common as dirt in the hands of Jesus becomes a means for a miracle. And that's, that's you, my friend. In the hands of Jesus, you are a means for a miracle for those around you. And, and his parents, the people around him, they, they let pain and hurt keep them from fully seeing who Jesus was. They wanted to be accepted. They wanted to be valued. And those are legitimate needs. They really are. But they're only met in Jesus. They're not met in others. It, we find our identity. We find our value. We find our worth in Jesus as, as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And when that becomes true in our heart, then we begin to live out that identity and so finally, he's, he, you know, he's sent out, he's cast out, and we come to the final point this morning. Number four, that Jesus comes, he came to him and he comes to us in the midst of our fear and our pain to give us eyes to see a hope-filled future. Let me read that to you again, friend. Jesus comes to us in the midst of our pain and our fear to give us eyes to see a hope-filled future. John 9, 35, it says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and he went and found him. And Jesus asked, so look at this. Jesus went and searched for him. He went and found him. Uh, he went and looked, he heard what had happened and he went and found him. Friend, Jesus does the same thing for you. He comes to find you and me in our places, in our places of um, points of pain and of fear and of hurt and of rejection. And he comes to us. And then he asked him this, he asked him, do you believe in the son of man? The man said, point him out to me, sir, so I can believe in him. And Jesus said, you're looking right at him. He, I am he, don't you recognize my voice? And at that, the man who was blind said, master, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Friends, Jesus comes to us in the midst of our fear and our pain, and just like this man, Jesus gives us a hope and a future. As we say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, I surrender. I worship you. I surrender everything to you, and Jesus is our hope and our future. Uh, Hebrews 6, 18 and 19 says, may you be greatly encouraged by taking hope that taking hold of the hope offered to us. We have this hope, this relationship with Jesus as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Jesus follows this up here after he does it, after he says this to this man, he follows this up and he says, I came to bring sight to the blind and to expose those who claim to see spiritually but refuse to surrender to my Lordship. See, friends, that's the key, is being like this man who had his physical eyes open. His spiritual eyes were fully open when he fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. Friends, there's two responses today. Two responses. One is personally, is Lord, 
And I'm praying this prayer for me, and I'm going to pray it over us in just a minute. Lord, open my eyes, open my ears, and help me see what you want to do in my life. In the craziness of this world, in the craziness of what's going on, Lord, let, let, me, let me stop casting blame, even at myself, but say, Lord, I surrender to your lordship, and I ask you to open my eyes and open my ears. So first of all, it's individual, and then secondly, to those that are around that are hurting Lord, would you give me eyes to see those that are hurting? Lord, would you, and, and, and I'm gonna pray this prayer for you as well. This prayer is for me and it's for you. But Lord, would we not, when we see those in pain around us, may we not cast blame, may we not cast judgment, but we say, Lord, in the midst of what's going on, Jesus, what do you wanna do and how can I be a part of it? How can I do that? I'm gonna pray in just a moment. As I pray, would you, would you simply, would you close your eyes? Would you open your hands and just, I want to pray these prayers over you. And would you just, as a sign of surrender to the Lord and of receptivity, would you just hold your hands open and receive? And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never surrendered to him, if you've never asked him to come and to save you and to take away your sin and to uh, restore you, to, to, um, to give you peace, to give you everlasting life, to, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, this is the moment right here. Just as we pray in your own words, Confess him as your Lord and as your Savior. Surrender your life and your heart to him. Um, ask him to come and to forgive you and to restore you. And, and then let us know that you've done that. Let's, let's pray together.